Welcome to Oh This World. This is a podcast for people inclined to take action in the age of coronavirus. As Americans and as Texans, we wonder about the choices we are personally making in this new world disorder. And because our state and federal governments have failed to provide the leadership necessary to help all of us make informed decisions, it sometimes seems like we're all on our own. But at a time when it's easy to feel helpless, we're focused on action. I'm Antoinette Perez. And I'm Lucas Schaefer. We're friends, engaged citizens, and progressive activists in Austin, Texas. Our mission is to help Texans and people across the country hold our leaders accountable and build an America that leaves no one behind. So wash your hands, grab a drink, and join us for this world. Welcome to Oh This World. I'm Antoinette Perez, and today we will explore echo chambers, confirmation bias, and groupthink. This is a whole different way from last week that we might get uncomfortable because today it's all about ourselves and reflection and what's going on inside. Um, Before we get into that, let's do a quick kind of follow-up to last week. Lucas, how are you? Oh, I'm coming in hot today. You're coming in hot. I'm coming in hot. Well, it's a little bit different because in listening to Friday's episode, I think you and I both sounded a little beat down by the week. So the weekend must have restored you somehow if you're coming in hot today. Oh, the weekend did not restore me. The weekend did not restore me. Nothing that has happened in the last 48 hours has restored me. I'm just, um, I have a lot of thoughts, some of which will some of which we'll get to, I'm sure. Um, And I'm excited to talk about echo chambers because I feel like you and I do not exactly see eye to eye on this one. So there will be some good, productive, action-oriented dialogue. What are we following up on um, from last week, Antoinette? We've got a couple of follow-ups, and these are technically not from last week, maybe from the week prior to that. We Mm -hmm. spent two weeks ago talking a lot about corporations needing to step up and do better. And the New York Times ran a story very recently about some big companies that are stepping up and speaking out in support of Black Lives, which is wonderful. Um, There was also a story in Financial Times that I think just uh, was published this morning about employees at Facebook, many of them speaking out against Zuckerberg how he will not call out Trump's rhetoric, which Twitter did, that glorifies and incites violence against protesters all around the country. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I'm kind of digging this little these little bits of development. I, I that's good. I would just encourage people with the corporate stuff to also be making sure that the policies within these corporations are either good in the first place or changing <laughs> uh changing to uh be better in terms of r- racial equity etc cetera, etc cetera, just because i know i mean i saw the nfl made a statement this weekend which is all well and good but we all know from the Colin Kaepernick situation that their their words and their deeds were not the same. So I would say, by all means, speaking out is better than not speaking out, but also do your homework about what these corporations are actually uh, doing, what their hiring practices are, what their uh, 
you know, all of the things. And maybe you don't need to, maybe you don't need to research all of those companies yet. Maybe if your own company has made a statement in support of black lives, it's a good idea to go through your own company's employee manual and to check on what those practices are and whether or not they are um, as, as supportive of equity as we would like. They're Um, probably not. (laughs) <laughs> they may not be. I, I will also mention that on Instagram this weekend, I saw some small shops posts. And um, I just I loved one in particular, a little shop in Indianapolis. The owner posted saying, I've gotten some really sweet messages checking on our little shop asking if we're okay from, you know, rioting and looting and all of that. And she said, First of all, we're doing fine. Everybody is safe. The shop is fine. And then she said, more importantly, whatever might happen to the store, it's happening to a thing. And those things can be fixed and replaced. What can never be fixed and replaced are black lives. And it just filled me up a little bit inside in a place where I needed it. Yeah. 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 That's, so that's good. what have you got for follow up today, Lucas? Oh, God. Um, Well, I mean, we're not, you know, journalists. We're not news reporters. Everyone knows what's happening in the country this this week. And everyone has seen uh, the police violence and the I mean, I don't even need to describe everything because we know what's happening. Um, But I I did just want to follow up on both the disinformation episode and my little attention white people episode from a few weeks ago to just say, first of all, when it comes to the disinformation, we are seeing just here in Texas 21 across the country, this avalanche of things the GOP wants to talk about that is not the reason why there are protests happening right now. Um, And so just today we've seen, you know, the new Republican strategy that Trump is promoting to his people is flag burning to go after flag burning. And because there was a, a protester burned an American flag. So this is an insult to patriotism, blah, 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 blah. And I would just say to, um, Everyone, but but really, especially to, um, you know, white white listeners, um, I, I would just encourage us all not to take this bait and not to have every conversation be a reaction to whatever stupid thing these people are throwing at us. Right? I mean, this. That I guess that's all I have to say about that. The other thing I wanted to say regarding the attention white people thing is, you know, it has been framed as if, I'm, I'm not talking about in the last week, I'm talking about for years, it has been framed as if the opposite of Black Lives Matter is All Lives Matter, right? And I just want to emphasize the opposite of Black Lives Matter is Black Lives Don't Matter. Those are the two choices, right? And so all of us white people have a side to choose. Those are the sides. And, you know, we're going to talk about echo chambers today. And I I agree that that's um, a political problem that we, we definitely need to address. But I would also say that 
for most white people in America, and I'm including myself in this, we are in a white echo chamber, right? Um, and I don't know. There's a lot of work to do, but you know, if you're doing nothing, <laughs> you've made a choice, and the choice you've made is Black Lives Don't Matter because those are there. Those are the two sides, and I guess. And that's everything all I else have to is say a diversion. And everything else is a diversion. Um, yeah. And you know, if I guess that, that I'm going to leave it there okay. for, for now, but fair enough. Fair enough. Lucas and I have been talking a little bit about the podcast, our experience making it, and I continue to be surprised in a variety of ways in planning for and studying and producing these podcasts. Um, there are some things that have stuck out to me. Lucas and I have very strong opinions about things, um, and we are still open to feedback, which has been helpful. I have enjoyed hearing from folks who are listening to the podcasts and have other opinions, additional opinions, differing opinions. It's been very, very helpful for that. I've also noticed that over these 25 or so episodes, Lucas and I change our minds. We change our position on things from time to time, like my shift recently on social media activism, which had you asked me prior to recording episode one, I would have said, Social media activism is not a real thing. Um, I've really come around on this. I'm starting to embrace it. I'm trying to understand how I can be a better or a good social media activist, an effective social media activist. And the other thing is, I guess, at the end of all this, not that I thought we were always right, but I just want to reinforce as we go into this discussion about echo chamber, and I think we are going to explore it and hear that Lucas and I have slightly different perspectives on this. Um, I don't know that either of us is sitting here going, I'm right, you're wrong. That's not no. really the point of this conversation. I think the point is for us to really explore these things rigorously, make our best decisions for ourselves based on the facts and information that are available, which is basically life in COVID. That's what this whole podcast season has been about. So thank you very much for taking the journey with us. We are learning so much and you are helping us by not just listening, but also interacting with us offline. So back to Lucas's point, the protests around the country over the last week and certain people's reaction to the protests reflect an echo chamber that identifies a level of privilege that people have had. And Lucas has been pretty direct in saying it's a white echo chamber. I think that it's white and sometimes it's white adjacent, which we'll probably come back to in just a moment. Yeah, um, I mean, I, yes, yes. And this protects anyone in that echo chamber from thinking about and experiencing police violence as only Black people have historically. So let's just really quick talk about the echo chamber. Lucas, what is like your really quick, you know, one sentence definition of an echo chamber for someone who is new to progressive language? They've never heard this. They don't know what it means. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just only associating with people who who think or identify in some way similar to as you do and then confusing that for being all of america or all of the world that's right um it's surrounding ourselves with people who tend to share the same values so the same beliefs and um the net effect is that 
everybody is essentially saying the same thing all the time. And we are hearing the people who are around us most often reinforcing the very same things that we think. And before we know it, taken to an extreme, we forget that there are dissenting views and other opinions out there. So other names for echo chambers that we've heard over the years are things like filter bubble, filter, the, the bubble, hive mind. Um, and there are definitely benefits to echo chambers. I lived in one quite comfortably because there was a period of time where I didn't really read the news at all. When I started reading the news, I was reading things that were comfortable and non-threatening and made me feel good to read. And it meant a couple of things for me, right? One of them is that I lived in this little cave of comfort. I didn't really have to do a lot of thinking because all of that thinking was done and spit out for me by professional writers. And I had a measure of self-care slash privilege. Um, the reason why I finally realized that I was in that echo chamber was because of the ultimate echo chamber disaster. And Lucas, I think you remember what this is. That is the 2016 election. Yes, I do remember. the. <laughs> I sadly do remember the 2016 election. Yeah, that that is a huge wake up call for someone who spent the entirety of that calendar year 2016 up to the election, fairly convinced that we were going to have another Democrat as president and that specifically leading up to November, it was going to be Hillary Clinton. We'd have our first female president. Did you have any doubt? Not really. Hmm. I really didn't. And part of the echo chamber effect for me in the final month or two before the election is that I was really tired of hearing Donald Trump talk. I don't yeah. think he is uh, worth listening to in any way. He doesn't make coherent thoughts. When he does, they're often heinous and vilify other people and offend my value set. So I just tuned him out. I tuned everything out news-wise, and I, I assumed that we were heading toward a finish line that was going to result in Hillary Clinton as our president. Right. Now, the irony of it all is that after a couple of days, I after the election, I um, had a couple of work trips. And when I came back, there is a friend of mine who lives in Brooklyn, and she is African-American. And we started messaging back and forth about the election results. And she said to me, I was not surprised by this outcome at all. And we went, you know, traded a few messages about this. And she said something to me like, I don't think that black folks thought that Hillary winning the election was a foregone conclusion. Mm -hmm. And while I'm not white, I'm about as white adjacent as you can get sometimes. Um, being Asian slash Pacific Islander, I am light enough to be acceptable to folks most mm -hmm. of the time. Um, and, you know, along with some educational privilege and some level of professional privilege, I think that I'm pretty white adjacent. That was a huge wake up call for me to be woken from that echo chamber. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what I find annoying about the echo chamber conversation <laughs> is that it's usually, we're usually not talking about the example you gave, which I think is an extremely useful example. We're usually talking about 
we're in this echo chamber and we're not understanding what the Trump people are saying, what Republicans are saying, which, you know, is, I understand why people say that. I think it sort of minimizes the extent to which, and this is not true in my case personally, but the extent from which people have family members who have views completely antithetical to their own, in which case they're not in as much an echo chamber as, uh, you know, we might be thinking. But it, it's just, it always goes back to how do we reach these people who are giving nothing back and have no interest in this conversation? So I think, to, to me, the echo chamber conversation is most interesting when it's focused on people who may not be voting as we would vote or voting at all, but are in agreement on some basic issues of decency and morality. Um, I, when it moves beyond that, I, I do become more skittish. Fair. I I'm going to so. posit that some self-reflection on our own echo chambers may help us to create some sort of a productive way of looking at other people's echo chambers uh, when we that, think about uh, things I, like I, persuasion, I, well, voter persuasion. And I think we're basically on the same page with this, but I just wanted to bring this up now to say that yeah. I, what you're about to hear for the next 20 minutes or whatever, and I think I can speak for you, Antoinette, but tell me if I'm wrong, is not the... What we really need to do is go to the diner in Ohio to understand the... Oh, no. That's not part of the agenda today at all. No, That's not part not of our outline. It. Not, not, not heading there. Not doing that. We do know that there's a drawback to taking up permanent residence in an echo chamber of our own, and yet we right. keep falling into them. So besides being taken off guard with results from a presidential election that surprise us, what else do we risk from life in the echo chamber and what can we do about it? We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll jump into that. We're back. All right. So I'm glad that you brought up before the break, Lucas, mm -hmm. the application of the echo chamber concept to ourselves versus other people, because my question for you is about application of echo chambers to us. Mm -hmm. So... What do you think some of the dangers are for us of living in that echo chamber besides not seeing losing a giant presidential election heading our way like a freight train? What other dangers do you think there could be? Uh, it's extremely boring. <sighs> losing empathy for other people. Um I'm curious in your <laughs> own personal life, because we talked a little bit about echo chambers in preparation for today. Mm. In your own life, you you seem to have cultivated a really um, tight group of progressive thinkers. And you're a writer, you're surrounded by creative people who tend to think expansively and think progressively. Who is it in your world that keeps you from falling into echo chamber mindset? I mean, I... I, I it, I feel like coming from sort of liberal white Massachusetts suburb, that's kind of my childhood, right? And then moving to Austin, um, which is a progressive city, but also a certainly a fairly white city and 
definitely increasingly a less black city. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we can talk another episode about why that that is. But, I mean, to me, the echo chamber, I was noticing more um, had to do with uh, people who politically may be aligned with me, but are predominantly... Um, of similar identity traits, right? Mm-hmm. So that, because that to me is, <laughs> has the exact danger that you were talking about of not having people in that echo chamber to say, wait a second, Trump really has a good shot. So uh, I, I, but I think what, I don't know if this is what you're getting at. I mean, I have made, as we talked about on a previous episode, right? My, one of my initial jobs outside of college was doing nonprofit work specifically with LGBT allies, right? In if I may, if I may remind listeners what the phrase was that you used that completely took me off guard. Professional homosexual. That's it. Thank yes. you. Yeah. So uh, part, part of that, that job was working with allies, people who wanted to be allies to gay, lesbian, etc. And, you know, it was a lot of travel to kind of conferences in the Midwest, conferences in the South, et cetera, et cetera. There was a lot of reaching out beyond the bubble. And I just, (laughs) I am past the point right now, I feel like, of having interest in conversations about Am I actually a human being? Am I entitled to the same rights as everyone else? Blah, 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 blah. So I would say I have whittled down my social media. I mean, I definitely had people in my sort of social media circle previously who had been in my actual social circle, um, you know, former teachers or college classmates or whoever who, you know, kind of were either consistently contrarian about issues of LGBT rights, issues of civil rights, etc., or just had the wrong views, uh, who I really have tried to, you know, unfriend, block, not really spend a lot of time thinking about. And it, it that did become more of a social media thing, just because those people naturally were not as much in my social life. And so I do feel like this is why I bristle at this whole conversation, because I think it's there's a version of this conversation in which we're just, you know, essentially essentially exhausting ourselves, educating people, quote unquote, who have no interest in changing. Mm. (laughs) I don't know that I fundamentally believe that everyone is unreachable forever. I do think that Mm -hmm. the more that people can be encouraged to exit their own echo chamber, even if it's just for a conversation at a time, the more likely they are to start seeing that other possibilities exist out in the world. Um, So to that end, we may be living in some sort of an echo chamber and people who are deeply conservative, people who don't 
buy into the protests or believe that there is a worthy reason to protest, by and large, are also living in echo chambers of their own. And I can see this play out. Over the weekend, I have done a pretty good job just out of self-care over the past eight or so years, 10 years, of unfollowing people or not having them show up in my newsfeed if they are like my first um my first requirement was if they were in some way sort of like inciting violence with their language or hate Mm -hmm. i would immediately unfriend them and then i didn't have to think about them worry about them anymore um But increasingly, I was finding that when people said things that were just ignorant, uh, I might comment and offer some news or a different way of thinking about things, and then they just shut it down, that I would also start unfollowing them too as a method of self-care because they were posting things that honestly, I just don't want to see um, as I'm casually scrolling through my feed. And there is a level of when I when I look at the posts that are going up this weekend, people saying, hey, listen, property destruction is not okay. You're messing up your own city. This is not okay. You shouldn't be, um, you know, expressing your anger in this way. What I see when I read through the comments on those posts is a lot of groupthink as well. So there are other polite, civil people who also believe that This is an overstated issue that we don't have systemic injustice against black people in the country. And you see a lot of that propping up and the group think that's happening in an echo chamber just in one specific thread. But what gives me hope is that this weekend I am starting to see other people posting, commenting on other people's posts who are saying, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And right now, maybe what we need to do is just listen. Stay home, be safe, don't feel like you have to go out on the street and be taken away by this violence, but just listen to what's happening and read. I mean, there is more white people calling in their own than I have seen before, and that gives me a little bit of hope. Well, and and that is where I think you and I agree that echo chambers need to be, we need to take a hammer to the echo chamber. and I've seen, I mean, I will say, um, you know, I've seen a lot of commentary from um, black writers, black people on social media saying, um, you know, white people really have a responsibility to have these conversations with their <laughs> racist family members, um, which absolutely, I think, you know. Easier said, <laughs> easier said than done. Sometimes, but um, you know that that to me is. But but again, you know, so much of what we know about communicating with other people, and I know you're. This is something you're going to talk about. Has to do with like deep listening, really mm-hmm. hearing them, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I just when when that is not a reciprocal dynamic i do wonder about the efficacy of that that approach i mean in other words do we need to differentiate or are we even in a position to differentiate between people who are malleable and people who aren't and i I would also just preface this by saying that i feel like 
you know, perhaps like a linguist or someone listening to this who was an expert in persuasion would say, well, part of the problem here is you're using words like educate, you're using words like malleable, like maybe it is about, you know, more, I don't know, who are you to educate? Who are you to do this? And it's like, you know, on a... I just feel like there's such a difference right now between sort of quote unquote political issues that we may disagree on. Hey, I think that, you know, environmental regulation can be taken too far and I don't versus <laughs> these fundamental moral issues of do we, you know, do we treat people equally? Look at all the ways we're not doing that. What you know, policies can be put in place. How do we attack the, you know, structural biases? How do we attack white supremacy, et cetera, et cetera? I just think those we need to maybe differentiate between those things. I forgot to mention earlier, because this thought occurred to me earlier in the podcast, and then your comment just now reminds me. I would also say that not all kinds of activism work are for everybody. That doesn't mean we shouldn't challenge ourselves to try new things and to step outside of our comfort zone. But you've said before, you don't like the the forced chant or I can't remember what the phrase I was. I will do a forced chant. I just You'll do it, you. but it's not it's not your favorite. It's not my thing. And whereas I do like the solidarity that comes from the rally and the protest, I think I'm just more likely to show up to that kind of event than you are. Not all kinds of activism are going to be for everyone. Um and, and I think that that's okay. It probably does take those of us that do have that inclination, though, to be able to learn and cultivate that skill of listening to be able to have these conversations long term. Um, a second thought that I had really quick, like you mentioned something about, you know, having the conversation where you're confronting your racist relative or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's another area where, by the way, follow up on Friday, you talked about role play. I think role yes. play is really, really helpful for those kinds of situations. Um, that is a perfect example of an echo chamber that we all, most of us tend to have when we grow up, that echo chamber of our family, our right. first value system, and the level of groupthink that can happen. And it is incumbent on us for sure to be able to learn how to respond when we hear things that are racist, when we hear things that just aren't helpful, when we hear things that challenge our sense of morality, um, to role play ways that we are going to be able to address those and try to engage in some different kind of conversation. Um, fallout can, can I just piece. follow up and, on that and say, I mean, when we, when we call Congress, when we have interactions with our elected officials, we oftentimes will, you know, people will put out a script for mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And... <laughs> It seems to me that those conversations may also require a little scriptedness, at least to get going. I just, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's, it's so easy to say to do this. And, you know, it just, I don't know. Um, Last note on the dangers of echo chambers, and I think this is one where as progressives, we can fall into this trap just as much as anyone else is confirmation bias. Mm. 
And in a previous episode, Lucas talked about how we can become an entire political party of pundits because we are all educated and informed and we all have opinions. The challenge is that we tend to look at and favor heavily and interpret accordingly the type of evidence that confirms what we already believe walking into any given situation. Um, We saw this a lot in the presidential primary. So can I just ask you, Antoinette, since 2016? Yes. What, how do you feel like you've escaped that echo chamber? Mm. I had to distinguish between self-care in the echo chamber and setting up permanent residence in the echo chamber. Mm. And prior to 2016, I was living there and I never wanted to leave. It was so cozy. There was no reason for me to go outside into the outside world. Mm -hmm. So... I had to understand that for myself, I could retreat into the echo chamber for refuge. I mm. could go in there when I needed cheerleading and support and reassurance that we were fighting for the same things. And then I needed to get back out into the world to do the work sometimes with people who don't share those values. Um Yeah. So basically just get in the echo chamber long enough to feed your heart and soul with enough energy and nutrition to be able to get back out and do the work that needs to be done. Yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of it for me. Um, Yeah. No, I think that's great. So all this said, relationships matter. And even in election years and even doing election work, Who we're in the echo chamber with, who is not in the echo chamber with us, these things are worth thinking about. And because we can't rely on some of the same types of strategies and tactics that we used to rely on to win elections before, such as door-to-door canvassing, one of the huge strategies that we are starting to see come out in a lot of campaigns right now is relational organizing, which Mm -hmm. is essentially becoming a It's essentially being able to leverage your existing social network for electoral gains. So it's basically reaching out to folks that you probably know already share your progressive values and on a systematic basis and on a regular and frequent basis, reaching out on behalf of a candidate to let them know who they are and what they stand for and why that person should go vote for them. So it's all about voter reg, voter mobilization within your social circles. I I feel like we're also, I mean, one thing I'm that really excites me about that whole, whole topic. And I know we're going to address it more and, and that I think we haven't, you know, worked through as much on this episode, but maybe should is there's also this whole body of people in our social circles, people we know at work, people we know on social media, people you know just socially, who, and I, in my experience, this is mostly, well, I don't, I'm not going to characterize them in any way, but I would just say there's this whole sort of group of maybe most people are what I would call blah people who actually don't have particularly heinous political views and Mm -hmm. maybe even are you know generally like hearts in the right place but just aren't have have enough privilege so that they're not thinking about it they're just blah yes there yes and again that again 
See, I think you and I actually agree with agree with each other on echo chambers. I just think uh, for me to get my head around this and kind of get excited about it, I have to be very specific about mm. the echo chambers that I think actually need to be broken. Yes. And that's another one where it's like those conversations are really important to have that kind of i you know that thing i was saying at the beginning about the opposite of black lives matter isn't all lives matter it's black lives don't matter mm -hmm. I, you know that's the sort of conversation to me that when i see um people i know on social media or in real life who it's not that they're saying something heinous it's that they're just going on with their lives as if this whole other thing that's roiling the country isn't happening. Yes. And I think that's an area where it's really, it is important to find ways to have those conversations in a way that isn't just, oh, rah, 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 what are you doing? You're an idiot. But, you know, having those conversations and having them come from an empathetic place, but also an urgent place. Um, right. So your categories of like acceptable are the folks that we know share progressive values and then the folks that their heart is in the right place, we're pretty sure they share the progressive values, but whatever's happening right now is maybe just disrupting their level of comfort and normal and they need some guidance. I, I guess what I'm saying is I think to me, the most dangerous echo chambers in my own life through the years that I've noticed are one a racial echo chamber where, you know, it's so white or so, you know, middle class plus or whatever, you know, sort of identity chambers. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is a real problem and something all of us need to work on, something I've tried to work on, etc. One. Right, right. And two, the echo chamber of it's not just everyone agrees with me, but everyone is engaged, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? If everyone was engaged, we, and we know that if everyone was engaged, Republicans would be completely screwed. Right. Because most people don't kind of dig what they're selling. But just speaking personally, those are the echo chambers that I think both politically and as a person, I have been and am most interested in. Mm-hmm getting out of i just for me personally i think the echo chamber of uh sort of just what i would say just like basic morals mm -hmm. <laughs> but i know i'm obviously putting that gloss on there i'm i'm less interested in that conversation at this point deep canvassing which is the ability to establish and potentially grow relationships mm. with people who believe the exact opposite of you um, and over time to be able to help them self-discover their way to a progressive value or more is yeah. also a real thing. And I remember reading about yes. an organization called Knock Every Door that started doing extensive canvassing after the Hillary Clinton loss in 2016, that big election loss. And they were going door to door to find out why people who didn't vote for her didn't. And they did that thing where they would knock on the door, they would ask very big open questions, mm -hmm. and they would just listen. That is absolutely a strategy that is geared toward the long term. And in times of COVID, 
five months may be about as long term as we get. I think that in rural areas, this is probably, possibly, maybe also a very valid way to try to get to know your neighbors and to create those long lasting relationships where persuasion might actually work. Yes. There is a Vox story that um, we will link to, and it's got a really, I don't know, to me, it's a very compelling title. Um, It is How to Talk Someone Out of Bigotry. There's a video included, and while I hadn't watched the video yet, I read in the story the description of the video where someone who is, I believe is a trans man, he's door knocking, and a woman answers the door and he asks how she's thinking she's going to vote on a trans bill. And she says, well, I'm thinking I'm going to vote against it. And he ends up engaging her in a deep canvassing conversation where he asks her the big open question about a time when she felt like she had been discriminated against. And she shares that story. And then he gives her an example of a time when he was discriminated against as a trans person. And she says, Mm. oh, I see where you're coming from. I understand. And when they wrap up the conversation, he says to her, well, how do you feel now? And she says, I feel like I'm going to support this bill. Um, So and it happened in, in one conversation, which I'm not saying they all do. I would imagine a lot of them don't. That's okay. I do think that for activists for whom this level of engagement is something that they are excited about doing, this is a wonderful way to build long-term relationships. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So um, we're going to take our second break. And when we come back, we will talk about a couple of calls to action. Okay. I, f- I feel like I build this as Antoinette and I are going to like go head to head, but I think we, we pretty much actually kind of agree um, about, <laughs> I, I, I feel like we may have more of a semantic uh, d- disconnect than um, about the actual topic at hand. So what do we, <laughs> what do we do to break out of these echo chambers, Antoinette? We've got just two calls to action. If you feel like you are living in an echo chamber, you're a little too comfortable and you're not experiencing what's happening outside of that echo chamber. What I would say is don't rely on any one channel or publication or social media platform for your news Check out some news from other outlets, and we are going to post a link to a media bias chart. If you have been on Facebook at all, in particular since the 2016 election, you've probably seen some earlier version of this chart. The most recent one has come out less than 30 days ago, and I think they're calling it the Media Bias Chart 5.0. But it looks like it is uh, run by a company called AdFonts, AdFontes. I don't know how to pronounce that. Mm. And they take a lot of media publications from around the world and they plot them based on whether they lean liberal or conservative. And then more importantly, whether they are rigorously investigated journalism publications mm. or not. So there's one area in particular toward the top, which is um, they don't have too much bias left or right. But the most important thing is that if we kind of stay in that one block and really 
pick something that we've never really read before, but is in that block of just rigorously researched and investigated journalism, Mm -hmm. that's a good place to go just to break outside of that comfort zone a bit. Go as far right as you feel like you need to, as long as you're up high in the quality of reporting that's happening. Um, And the second CTA for today is to text a few of your progressive folks that are outside of your inner circle. When I say inner circle, I'm referring to outside the group of people for whom you already have like regularly scheduled Zoom happy hours, for instance. Right. These are folks who are friends of yours. They may even be good friends. They're not necessarily bestie besties. Text them. Um, Text them Mm. a little bit about what's going on. Ask them how they're doing through the protests. The idea here is to try out just the first bit of relational organizing because we will spend more time for the rest of this week talking more about relational organizing, how easy it is to do, and what that would look like for each of us if we did it. That sounds fantastic. So this is our, yes, our first themed week. It is. It is. And I have one last thing to say. You brought up a linguist earlier. You said maybe there's a linguist who's listening out there and is thinking, you know, the thing is, you just need to change the words you're saying. I'm going to I'm going to say a name right now. There is a linguist out there named George Lakoff. Do you Mm -hmm. know this man's name? I I do. I do. I'm not. What do you know or think about George? Like when I say the name, what is your I don't I don't know enough about him to think anything. I I know that I have some skepticism about the idea that if we just change the words we use, we can solve everything. I don't know if history backs that up, but I I honestly don't know. I I remember after one election, his name was everywhere, maybe like 2004. His name was everywhere after 2016, and I believed that there might be an answer that George Lakoff could bring. I believe he's a linguistics professor at Berkeley, or maybe he's retired from Berkeley now. Um, But he definitely posits over and over and over again that if we as liberals change the way that we talk about things, that we will solve everything. The reason why I'm skeptical is because he hasn't done it yet. If it really is that easy, just tell us what to do and let us go do it. But nobody is providing the answer, so I'm well, just not sure. And also, like, <laughs> pick up the paper. Look at what is going on out the window. I mean, this is not about the language that we're using. Look at what's happening. So you mean George Lakoff step out of your echo chamber? I don't I don't know anything about George Lakoff and maybe I'd read the book and think it was absolutely brilliant so I'm just going to zip my I'm going to do what our congressman won't and cover my trap. <laughs> I'll send you some George Lakoff links we can maybe have a, a follow-up episode some other time. Uh for right now though, we would love it if you would engage with us on Twitter or Instagram at oh this world pod or send us an email at oh this world pod at gmail.com. Can, can I just as while we're giving out that info, I would also say if you are someone who has had um that conversation with your racist uncle and felt like it was productive in some way, let us know. <laughs> Please let us know what was said. I want a script. I want to know. I love that. Okay, very good. 
You can find our podcast on pretty much all of the podcast channels. So if you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend. And wherever you choose to listen, please subscribe, rate our podcast, and review it. Maybe just one or two sentences. Uh, Lucas and I will talk with you again on Wednesday, where we will continue our theme of relational organizing and deep canvassing. Thank you so much, Lucas, for jumping in today and being my partner. All right. Very good. Stay safe out there, everyone. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.